we're doing a new series and the series is called Follow Me. And the reason we've chosen this as the uh, ministry team, we did that on Monday morning, is because we realise we've been doing a lot of uh, deep theological understandings. So in the John 15s, we've done the seven I am statements and the, uh, the seven signs of John, and it's all very overwhelming theologically. And what we wanted to do this time is actually have a sermon series which is more practically based. So what we mean by that is actually we want to have the question posing, how do these topics affect how we as Christians live a God-honouring life? Yeah? How do we as Christians live a God-honouring life? And... In particular this morning, I'm talking about our world. Our world, as you can see there. So the question that we have this morning, which I want you to be thinking about as I talk, is how do we as Christians live a God-honouring life in our world? On that thought, let me ask you, how would you describe our world? It's good interaction time, you can respond. How would you describe our world? Chaotic, that's a, that's a great way of describing it at the moment. How else would you describe it? Yeah, yeah great responses. Some of the things that I, I came up with, I had a week to think about this question. Uh, I got social. We live in a social world, don't we? Social media is the dictator of news at the moment. Emotional, it's an emotional world. We all run off emotions, don't we? And decisions quite frequently at the moment are being based off how we feel or how one person particularly feels. It's a spiritual world, isn't it? You and I know that. We know we live in a spiritual world. It's more than just what we see. It's an intellectual world, isn't it? We live in a world where now if you want to get a job, you have to go get a bachelor's degree. Yeah. It's no longer about 20 years in the workforce. It's a physical world. We're both physical. You and I, we're physical beings. And it's broken. The world is broken, isn't it? So how do we as Christians live a God-honouring life in our world? Now, there's two parts that I really just wanted to look at this morning. And uh, the two parts we'll get to. But the first one is this. We have been tasked to look after our world, haven't we? We've been tasked to look after the physical world. So are we actually, in our lives, honouring God if we neglect and pillage this world? Let me explain this thought a bit more. When you loan an item to a friend... Do you expect them to return the item in the condition that it was given to you? Or do you, yeah, you don't like it when they give it to you when it's broken, do you? Or if they come back and you say you lend your car to someone because they're in the mechanics and you get it back with an empty can of fuel. You know, how annoying is that? You have to not only go back to the petrol station, but you have to buy petrol. We expect it to be returned in the condition that we lent the items, don't we? Now, God's not necessarily lending us this world, but we're living in his world. 
This is still his. All of this is God's. And it's similar to how we should, this is how we should treat the earth, with respect. Yeah? We should be maintaining and sustaining it. If we were to read further on in our Bible verse this morning, we would have read Genesis chapter 2 and it's verse 15. It says this, I'll just read it to you quickly. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. There's actually a commission there to look after the Garden of Eden. Now, in that context, this isn't meant to be a theological subject, but I have to say here, there is a few very tricky Hebrew words, and you know those theologians that sit there and debate over a few words? Well, these, this is one of the cases, there's a few words in there that are actually very complicated. And they bear so much more connotation than what our English language actually provides. And what it actually infers that verse, when it says the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it, it's actually saying that we need to be stewards of this earth. Yeah? The word work infers that we are to look after the earth. And what it actually also infers is one day the master, so if we looked at the Greek word, the Hebrew word, the master would actually come back to see what has happened to his property. Who knows the, the story of the parable of the talents? It's very similar to that. The man gets lent, uh, there's three different people, one gets lent ten talents, one gets lent six talents, and one gets lent two talents, or something like that. I can't remember the exact amounts, but... They get lent three different amounts. The one with ten goes out, spends ten, and makes ten times the amount. The one with six goes out, spends six, and comes back with six times the amount. The one with two goes away and hides it and does nothing. The same idea here, except not instead of making more money for money's sake, as the parable says, but rather the master will come back and he will actually judge according to how it's been used. We need to look after this world, yeah? We need to look after it. Let me just go back to the reading we read today. Genesis 1 verse 26 says, then God said, let me pull it up for you, Genesis 1 verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God gave dominion to mankind, didn't he? He gave dominion over the earth, but not in order for us to misuse it or to use it at any reason, but rather so that we may maintain it, because we are actually made in his image. That what, that's what allows us to discern right from wrong. And so we're placed in charge so that we may maintain and sustain. God commands us to keep and care for the earth, and God's order to have dominion over the earth doesn't mean to completely dominate and exploit, but rather to sustain. And I think, unfortunately, we're not really doing that these days, are we? 
Now, I wasn't going to venture too much into this topic, but climate change, the, the uh, exploitation of unrenewable um, coal and oil, we're, we're pillaging this world at the moment, aren't we? Now, they're things that we can't necessarily change by ourselves. But the question I want to pose to you is, how are we doing the best to maintain the earth? How are we doing our part to maintain the, the world? And some of us are doing all we can at the moment. You know, we make sure the lights are off at home. We take our reusable shopping bags to the grocery shops. So the question is, then, are you, not, are you doing your best? Because some of us are, but do you think that we are doing all we can at the moment to help maintain the earth? Because we all are in places that we are limited in how much we can help the earth. Very important that we realise we're stewards of this earth. Now, the second point that I wanted to talk about, and this will come with a bit of the slideshow. But as we go through, I want this thought to be in our minds. Why are we still on the earth? Why are we still on the earth? And, and so I want to start in, in Psalm 19. When we think of creation... We think of how great and glorious it is. And Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens reveal the glory of God. Don't they? It's truly incredible. If you just walk along Cronulla Beach, I just get gobsmacked by how beautiful it is. It's incredible. Let me give you a thought though. Some people say that we're here to inhabit the world. But what if the world isn't just here for that? Let me extend on that thought. What if the world is here to reveal the glory, character and awesomeness of God? Otherwise, why would it be so big? I mean, look how big the universe is. And that's where we're going to look a little bit today. But we definitely don't use all the world. So we're going to see how some of the glory of God is revealed. But first, I have to give you a little science lesson. So science is now actually coming to a place where they can't explain creation. And they tried with theories like the Big Bang Theory, where they tried to deny God and say it blew up out of nothing. But that was too random, and now they're wanting, they're calling it the grand designer theory, right? And the grand design theory is that there's a being, something so big that's able to put all these things into place so that it makes what we live in now, because everything's just too perfect. They can't say chance can just have created the world. And so it's called the grand design theory. And when we look at the story of creation, scientists are now actually coming to conclude that the Christian story of creation is the most accurate, 
accurate account of creation. That's a scientist's words. And some people say, I would have loved to be there when God created the world. Well, let me say, no, no, you don't. Let me, let me, let's think about this for a little bit. Genesis 1 said, then God said, let there be light. From our reading, let there be light. Now, this is where the science may get a bit tricky. Say, Caleb, you're going too fast if you, if you don't get it. But the speed of light is 300,000 kilometers a second. We thought we were going fast on the highway at 110. 300,000 kilometers a second. And some of us almost have that amount of kilometers on our car. Imagine doing that in a second. To put it in perspective, you can travel around the world seven times in one second, going that speed. And that came out of God's mouth, let there be light. And there was light. So we live in this little space, and it's up there on the screen, that's called the Milky Way Galaxy. No, we're not in Sydney, we're going a bit further out than that. We're in the Milky Way Galaxy. And in the galaxy, we travel in a term called light years. Who has seen Star Wars? You know that they refer to light years and light speed. So light, a light year, if you don't know, is how fast light travels in one year. Okay? So if you were to travel at the speed of light for one year, you travel at 9.46 trillion kilometers in a year. Yeah, 9.46 trillion kilometers in a year. And that distance is called one light year. And I'm going to make reference to that, so that's why I have to explain it to you. So meters and kilometers aren't going to help us in, in our measurement of space, and uh, we need to know the light year. And in our Milky Way galaxy, up on the screen there, there are billions of stars in our little part of the universe, and the, in the Milky Way galaxy. Billions, not hundreds, not thousands, there's billions of stars. And scientists say that there are billions of galaxies. So that's just our galaxy that has billions of stars. If you take all the galaxies, there's many billions of galaxies. Who else is feeling pretty small right now? <laughs> so if we look at the picture of the Milky Way galaxy, and we wanted to travel from one end to the other, remember that term light year? It would take us 100,000 light years. So if Merlu lived on one end of the Milky Way and I lived on the other end, it would take me 100,000 years to get across to the other side of the Milky Way galaxy to meet Merla for a cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah. See that little image there? See, can you see where that points to? You can't actually see where we are on that, but that is where we are on the Milky Way galaxy. Now, I'm getting a little bit distracted by these side facts, I'm sorry, uh, but it's really interesting, and I had to explain those things to you. So I'm sorry for this, this sidetrack, but uh, I had to explain those few things. There's this photo from a spacecraft called the Voyager. Now, the Voyager went out, it was in the 70s, and it, they, the NASA said to them, turn around 
and uh, we want you to take a photo of Earth. Now, at this stage, they are six million kilometers from the Earth. And it's traveling out into space at 64,000 kilometers a second. And it turns around and takes 60 images. And it takes five months for each pixel of the image to come back. Now, a pixel is just a really, really small part of the image. And uh, so a long time later, we get that image that you see up on the screen, in the middle screen. You can't really see much, but you might just see a few lines. Those few lines are light beams. They're rays of light. And if you look in the image, in the middle screen there, you might be able to see a blue dot. That's where this picture gets its name. It's called the blue dot photo, pale blue dot. And let me show you where you are, just to zoom in. There. This is a picture of Earth at six million kilometers away. A famous astronomer of the day described this image like this. It's like a piece of dust suspended in a sunbeam. You say, Caleb, you're making me feel small. And I don't just want to say you feel small, you are small. But it, the, it's a significant insignificance. Because as tiny as we are, we are prized by the majesty who sent for us, loves us, and knows us even though we are teeny tiny little people. It's amazing to think how big he is and that we have the opportunity to be in relationship with him. Let's go to the next picture. I'm going to take you out a little bit further. It's 150 million kilometers out further, to be precise. And this image is our sun. That's our sun. It's a raging ball of fire, and it's not a happy image that we see in the cartoons. You know the one with the smiley face? Yeah, it's not like that at all, actually. It's 5,537 degrees Celsius. It's raging intensely, and it has enough energy that it gives off similar to the amount of a nuclear, a thousand, sorry, a billion nuclear bombs every second. That's the sum. And it sends light out at such a speed, it only takes eight minutes for the light to come from the sun to get to Sydney. This came out of the mouth of God. Let there be light, and there was light. Our God is powerful, mighty, radiant, and things, and things like the sun, he can just say, and it comes into creation. We've got to remember that this morning, and that is who we are worshipping. Yeah? Now, just for interest's sake, this is a picture of the comparison of Earth to the Sun. It's, the Sun is a hundred times more in diameter than the Earth. Incredible. Oh, thank God that we're so far away from the Sun, hey? So we're going to go further from the sun again, 440, uh, 440 light years out. And we come to this beautiful constellation. It's called Pleiades. 
I partially wanted to put this photo in just because of how beautiful it is. It is beautiful. But there's also reference to Pleiades in the scripture. Who remembers that part in Job? God says to Job, can you hold Pleiades in your hand? Our God measures the universe in the palm of his hand. <laughs> yeah, that's big enough, you know. <laughs> and we'll go out further again. I'll try and go a bit quicker for you. This is the Vela Pulsar. Isn't that cool? What that is, is actually a blown up star. The star has died, it exploded, and then what actually happened is it collapsed back in on itself. I can't really describe more to you how it works because I don't have a degree in astronomy, astronomy even. But uh, there was a device that was sent out when they discovered this. And they used this device to try and find extraterrestrial life. And this is the sound that came back when they received the signal. I don't know about you, but when I hear this sound, it's sort of like the Vela Pulsa hears that all creation is worshipping God, and he goes, okay, I'll join in too. Yeah? All creation sings praise to God. 8,000 more light years out, and you come to this. It's called the Hourglass Nebula. I, picked, I put it in for fun. It's a star that's also died and emitted tons of life. But what came to my mind when I saw this was, remember when you were younger, your mum said, you've got to be on your best behaviour because God's always watching you. And if it's not through this eye, then maybe it's through this one. That's called a stardust ring. This one in particular is called the eye of God. We're almost through the photos. There's four more, four more to go through. And I, I feel like each of these are just so beautiful. I really wanted to show you. 28 more million light years out, we come to this one. And it's called the Sombrero Galaxy. When I first saw it, you just go, wow. Don't you? I thought, it's sort of like a Frisbee. The little boy I am came out and was like, let's go to the park and throw it around. No, no, no. This galaxy, remember that light year? It's 50,000 light years wide. And it's trillions of miles thick. And what's incredible is we could have completely missed this if it wasn't for the fact that when the earth was created, we're six degrees higher. So we can look down and into it. And you say, well, what's, the, what's so good about this one? Why is it up there? I just put it up there to show off the glory of God. It's just hanging up there and it's just showing off God's glory and majesty. And if we go out past the sombrero, there's this one here called the Whirlpool Galaxy. This one here is called the Grand Design Galaxy, scientists call it. 
And I say right on to that name, the Grand Design Galaxy. It's made up of hundreds of billions of stars. And some scientists say there's about 300 to 500 billion stars. Can you see those pink areas in the little arms that come out? They're kind of pretty. They're actually birthplaces of new stars. Every second a new star is born in those pink areas. Every second. New star. New star. New star. Even as we're talking. And you know what's incredible? God is naming them every second and putting them in just the right place. I'm going to take you out so far now. It's so far out that I can't even describe what you're going to see. We're going far out, like really, really far out. I can't describe it, and I just have to show it to you. The man up there on the cross... He made everything that we've seen. The scripture says that through Jesus, God made the world. And in another place, Paul writes, he created all things, heaven and things on the earth. The creator of it all came to the pla- that pla- pale blue dot, the maker of the whole universe, and he, hung him, he had himself hung on a cross that he himself created. Philippians 2 verse 6 says, Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And this is the second reason why we need to be in this world. We need to be in this world because the world is still broken. There are people in our community, less than 100 metres away, Not light years anymore, 100 metres, who are yet to know God. If everyone was saved and everyone had relationship with God, then who knows, maybe we'd even be taken to heaven now. But the thing is, not everyone does. Our purpose on earth is more than just sustaining the world. Although that's very important, that is extremely important. But we're also here to share the good news of Jesus. Jesus' sacrifice is what you can say, astronomical grace. 
And I want to show you one more image. It's the last image. And you're probably thinking, Caleb, you just showed us Jesus. How can you show a better image than that? Well, this one, it's called the X structure. And if you remember back to the Whirlpool galaxy here, if you look right in the middle of it, see where it looks quite bright? Well, right in the very centre, there's a pitch black spot. And Hubble one day finally got the camera right at the exact angle that they could look directly into it. And when I saw this picture the first time, it nearly knocked me out of my seat. And I just sort of stared there for probably half an hour with my mouth like. This is 31 million light years away. The telescope looks into the centre of the galaxy, the dark hole, and here's what NASA receives. That's the X structure of the Whirlpool galaxy. Now, I'm not going to tell you scientifically that they call it a cross, but I think we can come to our own conclusions. Make of it what you want. But what I will say is everywhere you look, it's mercy, it's love, it's grace. God's saying to you, I love you everywhere you look in our world. We can see that because of our relationship with him. God gave us not what our sins deserved. He didn't, he didn't allow us to receive what our sins deserved, but rather he gave his son for what our sins deserved. Before we decided what we would do with God, he decided what he would do with us. And that's the second reason why we need to be in this world, to share that news with everyone that doesn't know him. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord God, for the, the sacrifice that you made for us. Thank you for your power, your love, your mercy. And we thank you that in all of that, you decided to come down as a servant and you decided to humble yourself to death on a cross. We pray that you give us the courage to not only sustain and look after this world and we, you give us the energy to sustain and look after this world, but you also give us the energy and the courage to talk to people that don't know you yet. We want them to know what we have and we want to bring them into relationship with you. Amen.